Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining us today on the show is the Theo, um, Theo Priestley, a futurist keynote speaker and author of The Future Starts Now, somebody that I ran into on Twitter View quite a few years ago. I'm like, wait, there's a Theo. Well, you have Theo is actually Theo Priestley that shows up. So welcome to the show, Theo. Thank you for joining me. Theo, thank you for having another Theo on the show. This is so funny. Theo meets Theo. And we apparently, Theo, you guys can't see it, but he has a Darth Vader mug. And of course, with me in my background, I have my Star Wars gear. So this is awesome. I love it already. So Theo, you started your career in tech back in the late 90s. That's also when I started. I was uh, doing a few things here and there, and then I ended up in the dot-com and then dot-com crash and all of that. That was in the, in the late 90s. Um, but since then, you have done a lot of different things. Um, you have been speaking, you've been writing, you've done a bunch of different writings. Walk us through your adventure a little bit and how that all goes to what you are doing right now. Um, oh, blimey. Yeah, you make me sound really old, which I no, am, I suppose. Oh, oh, <laughs> my friends, I am turning 50 this year, the best 50 years is ahead of me. So you're yeah, not old. It's true. Um, so yeah, I, I started my career um, properly, I guess, back in 95 when I worked for banking, uh, you know, the retail banking sector. Um, and um, I started um, mainframe uh, COBOL programming, of all things. So I really am a dinosaur. Um, and um, I missed the, the whole year 2000 stuff because I was too young as a junior programmer. So it was, it was a bit of a pain. Um, but from that point, um, RBS kicked off their integration with NatWest. And, um, and I jumped ship and decided to go freelancing. And I was basically freelancing as a, a project and a program manager for nearly 15 years. Uh, possibly actually a little bit more. Um, and I've worked across banking um, um, across the UK and in Europe as well. I, I did a stint with ABN AMRO when they, when RBS failed to take them over and uh, they had to split them back up again. So that was quite interesting. Um, at that point, I started to, about 2008, I started to write about what I was seeing just in general. So um you know, I, I would come across reports from Gartner and Forrester and and they just did not reflect what was actually happening on the ground floor with people. Um, and so I um, I started to write about the realities of business and digital transformation, what I was seeing on the ground, what was happening with vendors. Um, and I started to speak with a lot of the software vendors that I was encountering. So I would get in contact with their C-suite and talk to their product guys and then have them on a, on the show or on my blog and, and, and write up the interviews and things like that, which was great. So I kind of gained a bit of notoriety because I was butting heads with the analysts and telling them that they were wrong. And then I was kind of sort of like taking a lot of the, the, the vendors to task as well and what they were selling, which was wrong as well. Um, and that all culminated in 2014-ish when I got hired by Software AG by, um, as a chief technology evangelist for them. And Software AG is a, an IoT um, sort of predictive analytics company within in-memory solutions. They've, they've got a, you know, Adabas database that's been going as, as long as the Oracle and the SAP ones. Um, German software company, I think it was number three back then. Um, 
And I wrote about a, I wrote a blog about visiting one of their London-based conferences, and and the title of the blog was "Nice Legs, Shame About the Face," um, and and it got picked up um, by the CEO and the CMO the next day, um, and I got invited in for a talk, and I got offered a job uh, there and then. Um, so I, I became their chief evangelist to help them kind of sort of elevate their message from beyond just pure product-based messaging and actually talk about the use cases and the customer successes and, uh, you know, the industry stories, what's the industry talking about and relating it back to them. Um, and then, yeah, that kind of sort of rocketed in terms of being able to write for Wired and Forbes and VentureBeat and all these other sort of publications about industry trends and what I was seeing in the future. And, and and then talking about it on stage at conferences and that kind of just snowballed um, from there on in. So I've always kept up the writing. I've always kept up the speaking stuff. I've always had a future forward, you know, uh, looking focus in terms of trying to identify what's coming around the corner and what the trends are going to bloom into. Um, and and from that, you know, I've I've worked with startups. I've worked for startups. I've run my own startup. Um, I've worked at startup accelerators, helping them with their messaging and their, their product market fit as well. Um, and yeah, I've just done various bits and bobs around product and marketing still. Um, and yeah, and I'm back on the circuit doing a bit of, uh, funnily enough, I'm doing a bit of um, workshopping and um, speaking in the Asian region now for um, retail, well, for banking uh, and its impact with Web3, Metaverse and AI. So um, yeah, back to doing what I love, really, which is getting in front of people. That's the fun stuff. I, I love that part, too. I love to write, but also love, like, you know, just talking to people because you also you always learn something new um, from the stories. But I want to take us back two years um, because in the midst of all the writing in the midst of COVID as well. You publish a book, The Future Starts Now. Tell us a little bit more about that. Was it a accumulation of all the speaking and everything that you've seen? Um, or were you a oracle forecasting the future? Um, actually, it's, it's, it's a bit of both and none of those in, in, a, in a way because, you know, I, I co-wrote that book with... Um, uh, a fellow futurist, Bronwyn Williams, who's based in South Africa. Um, but what we did was because the when you talk about the future, it it is such a broad topic, um, and we we did we wanted to do that justice. And what we did was we actually reached out to a large number of um, known futurists, known writers, and even unknown people who have you know really good pointed views. And what we said was, we'd love for you to contribute a, a chapter on a topic of your choice. So the book covers things from AI, VR and AR, um, education, space, new economies, that kind of sort of thing. Um, and and it was really important for us at that point in time to get not only a diverse range of voices to give such a, a, a much wider uh, view of what the future looks like, but also regionally as well, and get some a really good representation, young and old, across the globe. 
Um, and that was, you know, it was a bit like herding cats, obviously, during the, the, the COVID pandemic. Um, but I think that lull period, especially in the first year, gave everybody an appreciation of, you know, some time to actually reflect on what really was happening in the world and, and project that, again, from a, a sense of reality um, into what the future could look like. Um, it was It was a great project. I like that you you try to reach out to different people from across different regions. That's the one thing I often appreciate about people. It's so easy to just sit back and say, well, you know, we are going to stay here and look inwards. Mm. We do a lot of that in the United States. What are we doing? Let's do this. Let's do this without looking outside the border and looking at what are other people doing, what are other people thinking, and what can we learn from that? So I, I think that's incredibly important. What are some of the trends that you had thought or you foresaw in those last few years, um, and how has that taken shape? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when I look back and, and I started – Tra- you know, tracking trends such as even you know even the old stuff like business process automation. Oh, that hasn't um, changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, did you, you know, um, uh, anal- you know, predictive analytics and all these kind of sort of things and cloud and, and like you say, nothing, not, none of that has kind of changed. They've just become normalized in a sense and adopted, and nobody talks about them anymore. But they're still there. Um, but you can see where we are right now and you you know web3 or decentralized and you know technologies and defi for example coming you know coming to the fore i th- still think they're quite infant and especially immature in some of the thinking around it you know it's very much a case of crypto trading and um and an exchange decentralized exchanges and nfts but nothing nobody's really building anything that can complement traditional finance at the moment that kind of makes sense from a consumer point of view so we have that um and then you've got ai which has kind of been thrust upon us we've been living with it for decades in some form or another but now it's been thrust upon us and we have to kind of sort of shake off a bit of apathy and wake up to to it in a sense um and i you know i can see that coming forward and and the same with metaverse but not the virtual world gimmicky thing that we've we've been told it is but more the sort of layered reality in terms of being able to interact in different um presentation layers if you want to, if you want to call it that and of course apple calling it spatial computing which was a, coi- a term coined back in about 2003 by a simon greenwald um but you know, I'm seeing a convergence of a lot of these technologies starting to come together across different industries. And that's what I'm kind of excited about and kind of talking about just now um, when I when I go out and tour in conferences is how some of these technologies shouldn't be treated as silos, but as complementary and then actually should be dovetailing into each other. Um, so Web3 and AI and Metaverse or Spatial, whatever which one you want to sort of side with, I think are, are, are three of those technologies starting to come together, I think. I think it is going to be super exciting and, and you're absolutely right. They're not in silo. I think one complement the other and they will build up into some new experience. Hopefully that um, will also be available to more people. 
Now, earlier you mentioned the word old, um, which always cracks me up. I think it is relative. Looking at where you are right now, Mr. Elder Theo, if you were to go back in time to talk to your younger self, I don't know, back in 1995 when you were doing COBOL. By the way, you can make a bulk load of money right now going back and doing COBOL for banks because they need resources. Just, you know, in case you're thinking in between your futuristic <laughs> talk, if you want to go back, um, what would you have told your younger self back then? Um, blame me. That's a that's a, a deep question, isn't it? Uh, I don't think I would give myself any ins. Uh, actually, I, I think I've been asked this a number of times before. Um, and I don't think I would tell myself anything. Um, primarily because I think it's useful to make mistakes. Um, and if I said, "Oh, don't make this mistake," then you know, I wouldn't have learned anything along the way if I, you know, if I avoided that one. And I could have made a worse mistake as a result of it because I wouldn't have known what the, you know, because of the, the multiverse um, is, you know, um, is basically, you know, uh, basically has a, a version of me making those mistakes and version of me making other mistakes. And of course, I would branch off and, you know, I would be co you know, cause a, a, a shattering of the timeline, etc. Um, if you want to, you know, put a bit of geek and marvel in there i don't think i would tell myself anything i certainly wouldn't tell myself what last week's lottery numbers were and think stupid things like that um i think one of the only things that i would probably maybe advise myself on is how to judge people a little better you know because some of the people that i've met along the way are, are really good and some of them are not so good and i think rather than you know, saying, oh, make a career decision or something like that. I think it's more along the more along the, the human aspects. I think I would probably try and teach myself more of back then. I thought you were going to say you'll tell yourself, make sure you invest in Apple. <laughs> where they are right now, right? Well, a Apple, Apple, and, Apple and NVIDIA for sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Like, and and you'll be like, why? Because clearly some people were thinking, oh, you know, as just a niche. Clearly they're not a niche. Um, that was one of my favorite moments. I remember when Apple came out with the iPhone, the first one. I was so excited. I dashed to the store and I actually got the first iPhone. I took it on a trip to um, a work trip to Israel in Tel Aviv. And we were all playing with that. I had no idea how much data that thing was consuming. I came back with a horrendous data roaming charge. That was that was the one thing I remembered the most with with the phone. I'm like, oh my god, it is so different than the old, you know, the old uh, Sony Ericsson phones. Oh, I love those and uh, the Nokia bar phones. It, you know, it was just very different. It was, um, it's cool. I still like my phone. We carry around a little mini computer with us all the time. Mm -hmm. And we carry around AI with us all the time, just like what you were saying before. It's been thrust upon us. And now we're looking at, oh, there is a tech cold war. I think there was a headline I picked up recently um, on the news that, you know, someone is not playing well with the others. And now we're taking sides. <laughs> that sounds familiar. Um, the problem mm -hmm. with it, though, is AI is something that is super powerful and impacts almost everything that we do personally and professionally and 
regulation is struggling to catch up, especially in the United States. We are so far behind. I think you guys, you guys are a little bit smarter than us. Um, but we're still all playing catch up. So what are some of the things that, I don't know, keep you up at night? Um, I do think that, you know, AI is one of these things that, um, there's a lot of hyperbole, but I don't think there's a lot of public education about either. I mean, if you look at, so there's a couple of things, a couple of strands I want to tug on here. One of them is that um, a lot of the celebrity um, doomsayers, et cetera, et cetera, um, get a lot of airtime. So, you know, AI is going to create nanobots and destroy the world or release super viruses and all this kind of sort of thing. And of course, they're the ones that are getting on podcasts and et cetera. Um, but of course, it's all in an echo chamber, uh, which, which which again is um, is kind of like it has a dual, a dual effect. One is that it cushions people from the absolute nonsense that gets printed and, and talked about. But two, it, it, um, it, it doesn't help the education side. The other, the other flip side is that if you see some of the headlines in the British newspapers, for example, you know the tabloids they print pictures with Terminators and thing, and you know, it's um, you know he's not the Messiah, he's a very naughty chatbot and things like that, um, you know, and they talk about AI gods and AI is coming for your job and things like that, and they re- completely remove any fact and nuance and discussion points and just make it a bit of a comic book joke. And and of course the, the the public look at this and and they read it and then they discard it and they don't engage anymore, and and I don't think the public understand that um, a lot of this automation is going to hit them hard within the next ten to fifteen years beyond what has been done before, um, because of the advancements in handling tasks and the complex and complex tasks and that level of complexity is going to increase as the years roll on and so no white collar or knowledge-based work is is safe from this and it doesn't matter what industry you're in and of course that has a knock-on effect on people coming out of education as well because essentially people coming out of education in four years have been stuck in a room listening to lectures that are 20 odd years old based on practices that are 100 years old and and then when they leave, they've found that all their internship and their entry level positions no longer exist because they're being performed by, you know, an AI. I, I had a similar feeling the other day um, when I keep seeing restaurants, for example, right? Take a very simple example. Restaurants saying, well, you know, they're going to automate xyz and they are going to i think there was um a salad place a a chain that was saying that everything that they have in the store will be automated the only position that they'll have a human as getting all the uh the, the pieces and components sort of and then the robot will there will be robotic automation to cook the food, make sure it's timed and portioned and serve it out to the front. And so my first reaction was, wait a minute, what happened to let's say summer jobs, right? Remember? Kids coming out from college or 
in between, that's how they earn a little bit of money or, you know, coffee shop and things like that. Things that will give them just a first exposure, if you will, to the real world, connecting to people, thinking about how earning money will be. And then to your point, even white collar job, writing, arts, and a lot of those entry level things. What are we going to do now? You know, there will be the other side to say, well, you know, new jobs will be created. But to your point, I think education hasn't quite caught up and the environment that these kids are growing in have not quite caught up yet. So that's that's a little, um, I wouldn't use the word scary, concerning to think about, especially I have two two youngsters that's going to be going to college in eight years. I don't know what's going to happen to the world. <laughs> um, so I, I uh, let's switch to metaverse for a little bit. Um, that's one of your fun topics that you like to talk about. What are some of the top trends that we'll be expecting in the next three to five years? Don't tell me that you and I are going to be meeting in the metaverse with headsets the next time. Um, no. Like in real person stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think over the last few years, uh, especially in the last sort of 24 months or whatever, we've been sold particular visions that have been very investor-led or investor-driven because, um, you know, va various investors have written books and, and published blogs about what the metaverse is to them. And, of course, they have a vested interest because they've put lots of money in particular parts of the infrastructure. But a lot of it is bo boils down to, well, it's another virtual world, a bit like Second Life and, and, and a video game like Roblox and uh, Fortnite. And we all should uh, meet there, like you say, stick a headset on and be immersed in, in playing around. Um, and, of course, this got sold quite heavily. But to me, that's not what the metaverse is. And like I explained um, a little bit earlier, or alluded to, and, and I've written a lot about this, is that to me, the metaverse is, is um, layered reality in a sense. And, and we see some of that with from the, the Apple spatial computing um, paradigm that they're, that they're pushing forward with, which is it can be augmented reality. It can be or extended or mixed, whatever you want to call it. It can be virtual. Uh, reality it can be the interwebs which we already know um, about and en engage with it can be um, physical reality as well because we do actually live and breathe and actually have to go out and about every now and again um, but it can be all of this at the same time and I and you could be immersed in a, a virtual fully virtual environment with a headset on and I could be walking down the street with a pair of augmented reality glasses and we could actually interact at the same time within the same kind of environment and it would still impact the you know physical space as well um, we can still affect each other's environments at the same time and that to me is what the metaverse is it's really something that we shouldn't actually it's not a single destination um, it's just something that happens around us at all times and we can impact with our actions and, and what we do um, and i think that to me is 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 a real shift in, in in thinking in a sense and something that i want to push hard for to see over the next sort of three to five years for people to understand because it will have an impact eventually on consumerism on retail on banking etc when we stop thinking about well i need to i need to open a bank branch in roblox and get people to come and visit us there well the answer is why nobody wants to do that that's not a banking relationship, for example. Um, nobody wants to do that in retail either. Um, you know, it's an experience, but 
once you do it, you never want to go back. And so it, stop thinking of it as a, a another funnel to pu push people towards and start thinking about, well, how do people engage? How do we take the journey that they already go on on a day-to-day -day basis and extend that between these different layers? So I, I would love... I would love for, you know, business leaders uh, and uh, people in general to pay more attention to thinking that way in a spatial, you know, spatially rather than singular um, uh, an environment point of view. Um, that's that to me is is more interesting as a metaverse concept. And then you you overlay on top of the on top of that, the decentralization, some of the data sovereignty aspects, um, being able to own digital assets. Now, there's an interesting one. Digital assets, for example, Nike selling digital shoes that you, that you can't really wear anywhere other than Roblox or, or Fortnite, for example. Right. So, again, that's pushing this whole singular experience point of view, whereas in a real metaverse context, I, sh I could be able to wear the shoes physically because I have bought a physical pair, but there's a digital representation in whatever layer that I wish to interact with. And you and I could be walking down the street wearing augmented reality glasses and someone else could be walking down the street at the same time. And we only see their digital representation, their avatar with their own clothes, their digital clothes and their sneakers on and everything else. And other people might not, and other people might just have themselves represented. So it's going to be quite interesting, not in three to five years, I would probably say in another 10 to 15, when we start knitting this together, how people represent themselves in real life with a filter on that we can actually walk down the street and actually see that. It's a bit Black Mirror. If you can imagine Black Mirror, there was an episode where I think someone had um, augmented reality lenses or something baked into their eyes. Um, and you could filter out adverts and nasty things with age content filters, for example. So you couldn't see the barking dog in the yard and all you saw was this blurred out image kind of sort of thing. And that's that to me is probably the, the level of metaverse that we're going to move towards over the next 10 to 15 years. And it could be quite dystopian, but it could also be quite fun. But the, the ultimate thing is the user has to be control or the wearer has to be in control. I can think of is what are those tech companies that's providing that doing with all the data that I'm mm. going to be exuding, right? Um, my preferences where I go, where I do, and all of that, they'll know everything about me, including perhaps I'll be walking down the street with a virtual R2D2 now. That would be kind of cool. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> but 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 if um any of those companies know me they would they probably know that's what I'll be thinking already but it is it is quite interesting isn't it because a lot of the use cases I've seen so far that has been talked about from Asia for example which I think is frankly more interesting um mm. than what we see in the west they are looking at it from an education perspective um i know that one of the universities in hong kong is is looking at how to implement that to bridge across the region between china and hong kong students um and korea of course they are looking at it from um entertainment perspective and what the government could be doing so there is um 
whole lot of experimentation going on. And I do agree, we don't need to open a bank branch in Roblox because why? <laughs> <laughs> I I have gotten into playing a little bit of, of those with my kids because I, I I was so curious. Like, why would why would a non yield be spending hours dressing up her avatar and and be in it with her friends? And what I found was that, and you're absolutely right, it's not about going to a destination. It's about the experience. It's about with people. Um, she loves it because her friends are in it and they exchange digital. I have no idea what. Um, and, and for her, it's a, it's a social thing to do mm. when they're not in school, when they come back and, and there's a place to connect. I think the connection is oftentimes what we forget. We think we'll just build a product out there and push it and people will come. It doesn't work that way because it doesn't matter if no. you're in v- real or virtual world, you still need people. Yeah, some of the more um, successful versions of, you know, metaverse or virtual world, for example, are places where it was a, a place to hang out. I mean, the the PlayStation Home, for example, was a, a really early exam, um, sort of example of on the PlayStation 3 where you had your um, digital presence there and then you connected with people and you basically entered this arena, which was um, a, a construct and you could go off and watch a movie or discuss your latest achievements and, and things like that. And it was just a place to hang out. There was, it wasn't, I think, I think that the, another thing that, that um, another big mistake that these companies make is that they, they fill it with things to do and it feels like a video game and it feels like a chore. And it's almost like if I log off work, the last thing I want to do is actually consider doing more work and more chore type activities um you know by entering another virtual world when all i actually want to do is just hang out and i think that's the that was the kind of message that i got from that that's the divergent messages actually from between zuckerberg's vision with quest and tim cook's vision with um apple which is zuckerberg wants you to get off your 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 chair and punch the air and, and play tennis and do lots of things and fight zombies and apple is like well actually no we understand that you, um, you know, you spend eight hours a day or whatever in front of a computer desk and 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 do work. The last thing you want to do is actually do mo- feel like you're doing more activities, um, and actually you just want a place to chill and hang out and socialize, and that's what their version is. Um, so you don't see people doing lots of activities and being doing fitness stuff because they actually want to make they want to cocoon you in 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 a space that you feel chill and relaxed in. And I, and I think that's quite a difference in message. And of course, I think we need to sort of understand that as well with the metaverse is that you don't have to do things in it. You shouldn't be made to do anything in it. You mean not another quest? Yeah, exactly. And it shouldn't be after <laughs> me. Yeah, go do the dishes. That's enough of a quest for me. Oh God. No, <laughs> this is, this is like all of the things like the, the, the dishes, the laundry and all of that. That's what I don't mind having automation. Please go, go do it. Go <laughs> fold the laundry too, for goodness. Um, but the rest, let me do it. It's fine. All right. Well, this has been fun. Thank you so much for joining us today, Theo. I love the conversation. Theo meets Theo. Um, this, this has been wonderful. I hope next time when I am back in London, which should be soon, soon we can get to meet up.
That'd be great. Theo meets Theo in real life. Oh, yes, that would be wonderful. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. And for our audience, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of One Vision. We will talk to you all next week. 